0: Escape velocity.
1: Escape velocity. Rain. Rain.
0: Hi, welcome to episode 19 of Escape Velocity Radio. I am one of your hosts, Chris. I'm sitting here with someone named... Derek. He's the other host. Hi. Perhaps you're familiar with his work. Hey, you broke your arm. I, I did. I did break my arm. You broke your fucking wrist, right? Or your arm. You, well, your I, arm. You broke your fucking arm. Technically, it's my arm. Yeah. It's the very near my wrist. Why don't you tell everybody how you <laughs> broke your fucking arm? Why? Why would I do that? Because if I you t- don't, I will. <laughs> you were there. You tell them you were fucking roller skating no i was performing an animal liberation action (laughs) a clandestine action where i liberated a barn full of pigs from their imminent death and i tripped on the way out on your roller skates on my roller skates because i like to combine leisure and activism let me give everybody out there a little tip if you're over the age of especially if you're over the age of 40 but if you're over the age of 35 and you don't know how to fucking roller skate, stay off the fucking roller skates. I was doing pretty good up until then. Derek. I had a good 15 minutes of not. I was watching you, and it was painful just to watch you trying to skate. (laughs) Anyways, you have a broken arm. I have a broken arm. I hope you're feeling better. Well, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah. It It has slowed down my preparation for this episode. Can I use that as an excuse? Yeah. Well, I broke both my arms then. We're a little late. We're a little late this month, but I think we wanted to time it more with the uh, spring equinox Mm -hmm. because we are actually followers of the pagan religion. That's true. people know that. Well, I am Irish. That's true. My uncle is a druid, for those who didn't know. That's true. What? Yeah. I got some fucking uncle who's a druid. Meaning he rejected the Christian doctrine imposed on mother ireland okay happy st patrick's day i'm pretty excited i know we are late like you say we are yeah. late for this episode but i'm excited that we waited because i'm very excited about this interview you got i look at our web page and i scroll down to the episodes and what do i see much to our chagrin as two white men i see a lot of white men nothing wrong right. with white men hey no, fuck i love I, them i love them some of lot. my best friends are white men yeah i love myself for right. example yeah a little too much a little too much that's what helena said But uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a disproportionate amount of time on our podcast. Right. I think given to um, the demographic of the prevailing order. Well, I would guess too that we could probably never have a white man as a guest and there would still be too much time because you and I are still here talking most of the time. Yeah, but we're different from other white men. We're different. (laughs) We're not racist or sexist. We don't see color. I don't even see gender. i have a rare visual impairment <laughs> that doesn't allow me to see color or gender yeah so i'm very excited that our that our guest at least today is is a woman uh, it's right. great and, and a feminist writer a well-known right. feminist writer i uh, i hate to um, I'm, I'm ready the only to thing, go here uh, do you want me to do the, the intro only for thing her? chris what? there's something about that yes uh well you know i told you that i was doing that interview yeah um I, I prepared for it, had a full list of questions, did all my reading. It uh, yeah, that didn't, that didn't happen. What? You mean Lori Penny is not going to be on our show today? No, no. So instead of having Lori Penny come on and talk about issues related to misogyny on the internet. Right. We're going to have two guys who are demonstrably sexist (laughs) put something new on the internet. Uh, Correct. Well, let's go. So this brings this brings up a a recent fracas. Right. Let's turn this into a segue. Let's turn this into a segue. It's perfect. So life gives you lemons. Make a segue. Make a segue. (laughs) You know the show, uh, The Agenda. It's a it's a sh- it's a TV show on TVO. TV I Ontario. I don't actually know it, but I, okay. TV Ontario I'm familiar with because Big I used to listen to Big Ideas. The yeah, great podcast. Yeah. don't know if it's still around. Don't have time to listen to podcasts or watch TV shows or read books or do anything, so I don't know much about the world. But you watch this show. Where do you see no, it? No, I've seen occasionally. I've watched because because you can watch the watch each episode on their website. How? Uh, through the magic of uh, teleportation. Okay, so the agenda is an issues-oriented show. Issues-oriented show where the, there's a, the host, Steve Pakin, and he always... Pakin? Do you <laughs> ever call him Bacon? <laughs> Anyways, okay. Steve Pakin. So he has a, a smattering of guests. They cover a wide range of issues. There's been the occasional one that's been of interest to me that I've watched. Anyway, so uh, over the last weekend he wrote a blog post on their website and it was titled, Where, oh, where are all the female guests? This was his rumination on the fact that that they strive, mm-hmm. uh, the, him and the producers of the show, strive for gender parity uh, when they're choosing guests mm-hmm. for their segments. And it is a stated principle that they are trying to, uh, trying to achieve mm-hmm. along with the quality like us. of the guests. Much like us. But he then describes how they have a tremendous amount of difficulty achieving that. In like that, us. Like us. Oh my God, wait a minute. We're the same show. <laughs> so he wrote this blog post going into a little bit of the detail on this. And I mean, frankly, he comes off like a bit of an idiot. Oh, well, it's um, putting it mildly, it sounds like. <laughs> I don't want to overstate my case here. Uh, but the guy sounds like a little bit of a douchebag. But the, the problem is a real one, I think. Not that, I mean, w- we are certainly no example of what most media organizations. <laughs> <laughs> Can we even use that word no. vaguely in relation no. to what we do here? We're a zine <laughs> <laughs> at best. A photocopied zine. <sighs> That's true. It's true. Left on a photocopier at the library by accident. Plus, I don't. I don't know if our foresight is always. It's a little seed of our pants in in figuring out what we're doing here. Yes, but we do try to think. Okay, you know, let's represent a different voice on the show, and then we try. And we've had this experience where multiple times we have reached out to people, reached out to women who we wanted to be on the show, and we have been unsuccessful either. Due to lack of interest, lack of time, uh, or simply not getting back to us, which is an experience that we have not had when reaching out to male guests. And this is similar to the experience that this Steve Pakin guy talks about on in this blog post. But he's he has some, the blog post is very defensive saying, listen, we want to make do this better, help us do it better. But look, we're really trying. And hey, ladies, you're not doing yourselves any favors is basically what he's saying. He talks about how they hear back from women saying things like, uh, I can't do your show tonight. I'm taking care of my kids. And he's like, no man has ever said that to us. Or they'll say, I can't do the show tonight because my roots are showing. He wrote that in his blog post? He's, he's saying that this is what they have heard. Yeah, he That's a lie. And That's a fucking lie. And he also says, no man will say, sorry, I can't do your show tonight. I'm not an expert in that particular aspect of the story the men will get up to speed on the issue and come on while the women beg off is what he says or worse they often recommend a male colleague in their place this to me was actually the most interesting part because I thought Leave it to women to be intelligent enough to know when they don't know enough about a particular thing to right. go and be a fucking talking head, whilst any guy will just go on there and fucking any opportunity, right? Blabber. Any opportunity to get in front of a camera. And look be like, at us! I know things. Yeah. Yes. Even though I don't know anything us. about it, we don't know anything about it. But we fucking let's start a fucking podcast and tell everybody what we think about what we don't know. <laughs> that is exactly but it. I think point yeah point two is. Nonsense! Absolute nonsense! Yeah, I would. I mean, maybe, maybe one woman said as that a to joke, them once as a joke. Yeah, and then points. And then he's like, hmm, "Oh, look at that! I can use that as an excuse yeah. to." uh And then points one and three. Like point one makes sense yes. because men fucking generally don't help take care of the children, no. even when they think they do. Yeah, as in my case, that plays right into it. It does that. that the men are like anytime, anywhere I can fucking get on a plane and just disappear to another city to do a five minute piece on your fucking show because yeah. I don't have anything to worry about. yeah. Whereas anybody who has a kid who happens to be a woman has a lot more to worry about in general. They're the ones who have to ultimately do the parenting in a tight spot. And which is one thing that came up in response to this piece. Many women went on and men and said, why don't you offer childcare? If you want more mm. women on your show, offer childcare so they can come with their kids that's a good idea um yeah and this this comes up in a lot of like even with activism and community organizing and, and that sort of thing this often comes up as a important service to offer because you expand the uh range of people that not only women but also men who are primary caregivers you expand the range of people who can take part in whatever the specific activity is or just bring the fucking kid on the show Why not? Well, you can't have a kid on the show. You can't have a kid sitting there while we're trying to have this serious discussion about fucking nothing. (laughs) Well, yeah. If the show's not important, the show's not important. But what's important that a kid can't be there? Well, not that a kid can't be there. Exactly. (laughs) Just have the fucking kid on the show. That's the childcare. It is live. Great. All the better. Make TV actually interesting to watch. See a bunch of kids pulling on someone's hair. and You don't get enough here. Don't get enough here. Yeah. You want, you want more. Okay, so child care. Child care was brought up and also you know, people are pointing out that the tone in which he writes this blog post says a lot, perhaps, about what women would think their experience would be on the show. Yeah, it sounds snarky. Yeah, it's snarky. I mean, this is obviously... It's an important issue to address because it doesn't have to do just with the agenda or on the polar opposite end just with our show (laughs) it has to do with everything to do with representation like it ties into a much larger picture obviously it has to do with how women are represented also how they're socialized like for better or for worse in this way where like i was saying they're like i don't think i should be on the show talking about that you know i'm not really the expert part of that is socialization but part of that is also a good aspect of that socialization knowing being smart enough to know when you're not smart enough whereas men are socialized to think that they could do anything and there is no limit but also in in the respect where women know that they will be hyper scrutinized you know some people pointed out saying my roots are showing it sounds ridiculous but really from the perspective of a woman who might have experience in the media right maybe it's not so ridiculous Right, right because when it comes to criticism of what you have to say that's the kind of thing that will be brought up by fucking doughhead know-nothing shit for brains in trying to take down whatever right. your argument is bring yeah. it back to your appearance something totally irrelevant but you know regardless of the the kind of shithole tone this guy took it is interesting and important I think that he at the very least raised this or rather than just saying we just get the best guests and we don't care about gender he's saying we do want gender parity. we're having a hard time i'm a bit of a snarky asshole but they're being upfront about it and mm. it's keeping a conversation about that going at least right you know what we need what we fucking need a woman on the fucking podcast we do this is ridiculous but y- you know what let's back up for a second yeah that's yeah. going a little to too crazy <laughs> yeah, yeah but you know this is also a problem you're saying oh we want to bring a woman on to, to talk about a woman's perspective on you know an issue that relates that that is kind of part of the problem because why aren't there women coming on to talk about economic theory you know what i mean because we don't ask them but <laughs> we but don't, that's 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 what i'm saying that's part of the problem is that it's kind of this it's this reflex that okay well our go-to person for talking about gender will be a woman and then everything else if we want to talk about though that's not entirely true, that's all, not true it's for at all. like Colleen patrick goudreau yeah. Talking about animal, but generally speaking, not just here, but actually out in the important world, that is often the case. Where it's yeah. you know, which you know, it's a, a ghettoizing of women into just talking about these "quote unquote" yeah. women's issues, which in reality are actually men's issues because most of them are caused by men. Yeah. So, what's the outcome of this? We we are sorry. <laughs> sorry everybody sorry sorry half of everybody <laughs> the other half we got your back but uh we're working on it we're working on it yeah best we can no not the best we can next month joe rogan's our guest <laughs> <laughs> i think we have to get a woman on the show as and a host like a third person a third person like, like a guest host it sits over there in the corner yeah yeah hey, hey what do you think about this cupcake Hey, what are you doing here today with your Root showing? No, I'm serious. Should we accept auditions? (laughs) Derek, we're from Canada. Unfortunately, yes. yes. Well, we live here. We live here. We live here. We live in Canada. Yes. And I think it would be difficult for us to not comment on some recent rather semi mainstream happenings in the uh, broadcast journalistic world you of course are speaking about the cbc canada reads series i am week-long competition the canadian broadcasting corporation our state radio yes which is probably the last bastion of anything that's barely resembles sanity on our airwaves in Canada. Yeah, in and even, even mainstream sense. And even in that sense it's totally tepid and fucking limp much like your penis. <laughs> <laughs> but something on the CBC took the country by storm in a way, mm-hmm. in a sense after a fashion mm-hmm. recently, mm-hmm. about a month ago. Canada Reads an annual what is it? it? It is a competition of sorts. They select uh, five well-known Canadian personalities, and they get them each to choose a book by a Canadian author mm-hmm. that they want to champion, a fiction, work of fiction, that they want to champion as the book that everyone in Canada should read. Should read for the purposes of improving the country well the, this the society. society this year they had a specific theme which was a book that could change Canada right you know you generally they don't have a specific theme like that but this this was the first time that they've kind of gone that route saying yeah. this should be a book that inspires people that that educates them that opens their eyes to something that can transform the country I mean it's a little overblown I think they right. admit that but right. that's kind of the idea behind it well I would say I mean th- this how many years five years this has been going on now at least five years yeah I would say they've finally arrived at the point where people are actually paying attention. In the early days of Canada Reads, it was sort of a CBC mm-hmm. niche thing. Yeah. And even though there's connections, yes, that we G- have even back then, John Sampson John K. Sampson, won formerly one of Propaganda, the band we're in, I'm in. John K. Sampson of Propagandi also put out records on the 7 Records. Yeah. Won it two years in a row. Is that right? He no. did win it for two two years no, in a row. What he won, oh. he won a year, and then one of the years, what they did is on the sixth year, I think they had the five previous winners oh. on to, so to he, kind of duke it out. No, no, he did a different book the next With time, the, didn't he? Oh, maybe he did, they maybe the, they chose a different book. Miriam Taves was the first one. Yeah, I can't fucking remember. But Anyways, a complicated he wanted kindness. So we have, we have a connection to this yes. thing already. But this year's Canada Reads kind of blew up into something more right from the get go. I agree. And I think it really, I think it was Wab canoe's insane performance. Like he just came out of the gate on fire. Let's hear his opening
1: statement. Reconciliation with the Indigenous Nations is the biggest social justice issue awaiting confrontation. And a big reason why is because the gifts from Native hands go unacknowledged from K through college in our home and Native lands. I mean, Canada, Canada. This country is named for a Haudenosaunee word, but most Canadians don't know who Haudenosaunee are. That's absurd. CBC asked me, Wob, what should Canada read? I said, check out Louis Riel's Half-Blood Blues and get up to speed. Go spend a year in a res house unfit for cockroach habitation, then spend a year of the flood on the Lake St. Martin First Nation. Annabelle? I'm not sure if I ever heard her, but I know anime and 600 missing and murdered. This is not the myth of a missionary. This is confession for colonization that gives voice to the indigenous so we can have a new conversation. Without that, no truth, no reconciliation. And that's why the Arenda is the book to change our nation.
0: That is fairly powerful stuff for the average Canadian to be hearing, and it is. I guess I guess because of his opening statement, he opened up a whole can of fucking worms mm-hmm. that Canada doesn't really necessarily want to have opened all the time. Yeah, that's true. And he took a lot of heat for the book he was defending, The Orenda by Joseph Boyden. Yes. But in the course of defending the book, it became, I mean, am I overblowing it? I had this feeling like it became the national dialogue for a few weeks. Yeah that might be a little overblown. Is it overblown? I think I, so. Is it? Because I don't know even now like CBC is still sort of a CBC generally is a limited sphere of influence and then CBC Radio is you know another CBC slice radio off is, of is, that. is the flagship wing of of CBC now. But it's true, it definitely ignited. I mean certainly even on social media and it de- definitely started a conversation or maybe we shouldn't say started but surfaced it to the mainstream which mm. I think was exactly Wab Canoe's point in choosing this book in the first place. Right. And the conversation so, is about Canada's... Canada's relationship with... The relationship to the indigenous people, the people yeah. who lived here before we fucking bulldozed our way across the continent. Yeah. And there, so there were a few interesting things. First, just to backtrack a second, when you were talking about the your first impressions of Canada Reads, mm-hmm. like I think it's proved its worth in that... Now, I mean, you know, from everything I've read, the books that get on Canada Reads, their sales, you know, they exponentially grow, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, you could argue that it's just people want to buy the books and then maybe they never read them. And does that have a trickle-down effect for people reading more generally? I don't know. But it can't hurt to have people reading books being championed on national media. Unless those books... Like the right. Arenda, the, the, the criticisms of the Arenda from some indigenous thinkers yep. are that it just serves up a bunch of tropes about indigenous people yeah. and serves to assuage the, the guilt of settlers. Neither of us have read the book. Nope, probably but, won't. But the, the book it takes three perspectives, um, and it takes place during a war, between this is based in 400 years ago, 400 years ago in Ontario, in Canada, and what is now Ontario. And it is a war between the Haudenosaunee people and the the Huron, who are allied with the French. Right. So it follows someone from the Haudenosaunee, someone from the Huron, and then a Jesuit priest. And it depicts the uh being very violent. Uh, torturing and some critics have said that it it casts a much gentler light on the jesuits than perhaps is deserved hayden king who wrote a very critical review of the book he called it a timeless classic colonial alibi you know said that yeah it just reinforces this idea that colonization was inevitable and that the savagery of the indigenous people is exactly the fairy tale image that is in the heads of Canadians already and uh, it makes them feel better about well look how much better things are today than at mm. that time of terrible war and look how they treated each other which seems like a very valid critique but Wob Canoes come back to that he had a couple interesting points well I think, I think first of all the, his first point and the point of Joseph Boyden in a uh, post competition interview was that he could understand how the Haudenosaunee people might feel like they didn't get a fair shake in how they're represented. He said there's a companion novel coming from their perspective, which is interesting. And, but he also, him and Wobble said, there is a reality to this, that there was a war. Mm -hmm. In war, people do crazy things. And what is depicted, you know, isn't, isn't too far off what could have actually transpired back then, you know? Right. And he also, he touches on, in the last episode of the final installment of Canada Reads, this idea of reclaiming history, Reclaiming history and truth and in that spirit not whitewashing it is your idea that you want to be strategic and Try to have a, a tactic in order to win people over and therefore Don't promote a book that is gonna Perhaps be misinterpreted or play to people's prejudices. Is it more important to push that aside and say sure it might be true maybe it can offer something of value, you know in understanding history, but it's potential of being misunderstood and misused is too great. So therefore we should bury it, you know, or is it more important to always seek the truth and always show reality and just make sure that it's not limited to just one perspective, that all of the truth and history gets shown no matter what it might potentially lead people to think. Mm-hmm. So, and he obvi- Wob is saying it's far more important to come down on the side of, revealing all than it is to obscure in in the pursuit of a certain outcome. Yeah. And I think it's also worth considering that Wobb comes from a, he's coming from a place where ideas of reconciliation and forgiveness take priority right. over retribution. Some people rightfully so to a degree are not ready to forgive what's happened mm-hmm. in Canada to the first people, yeah, you know, well, especially since it's ongoing, it's ongoing, and a lot of the really brutal stuff is still pretty fresh, yeah. But it's interesting to read people like Hayden King's criticisms because at the same time he's he's a fan of Joseph Boyden, and when he started the book, he he thought it's an amazing book, and then it starts to devolve into things that he perceived as as tropes. Mm-hmm. And let's hear Wobb's response to the the allegations that it was hyper violent and that it portrayed the. Haudenosaunee is just savages.
1: The violence, I think, is key to understanding the message of the Arenda. At the end of the day, if we look at the violence, the torture scenes in the book, strictly from a Western perspective, then of course we're gonna arrive at the same conclusions that people did 400 years ago, that these people are savage, that these people are beneath us. But the clues are there in the Arenda. Why, for instance, does Joseph Boyden choose to use the word caress? when he's talking about the torture victims. It's because he's implying that there's a different approach, that these people are engaged in a relationship with each other. And if you read historic texts from 400 years ago, the warriors of one nation would be upset if the warriors from another nation did not scalp or did not you know, uh, torture their brethren. And the reason for that is because that was your chance to prove your honor and your dignity one last time before you passed on to the spirit world. And so for us to understand that, we're tossed into a very different worldview, a worldview where suffering is key to achieving something meaningful, right? It's very easy for us as Canadians to get along with Indigenous paradigms and Indigenous worldviews if they line up with our own. Oh, Indigenous people want to protect Mother Earth? Well, I care about the environment too, so that's great. But all of a sudden, when Indigenous people stand for something different, when we have a different approach, then all bets are off. But I invite you to really consider the other worldview that's that's brought in through the torture scenes, you know, and this is something that's still alive in our cultures today. Like, for instance, I practice a religion called the Sundance, which means that every summer I go to a circle in the plains and I dance for four days with no food and no water beneath the sun. And then on the third or the fourth day, we do what's called a piercing ceremony. Our flesh is cut and we make an offering to the creator. Two years ago, I went there to pray for my father, whom you knew, my father who was in the last year of his life. And as I dragged the buffalo skulls around the outside of the circle, this is a procession of a dozen buffalo skulls, each weighing about 20 to 30 pounds each. You know, at the beginning, I was my normal egotistical self that I am in downtown Toronto today. The second time around, my legs were on fire and I was beginning to step outside of myself. The third time around that circle, the oxygen was gone from my lungs. And I was totally a different person. I was humbled. And then my sister leaned into me and she said, ready, brother, Dete used to go to chemotherapy. And after that chemotherapy, he would go onto the floodway and walk for three hours in the cold. What are you gonna do to help him? And then from that, I got the strength and I came back and I completed the fourth time around the circle. You know. And at that point, at the end, there was nothing left. There was no me, there was no you. There was no European, no native, no yesterday, tomorrow. There was just oneness, all of us here together. And it's a very challenging, difficult thing to understand for a cubicle dweller or somebody living in the nine-to-five world today. But that is a different approach to achievement and a different pro- approach to spiritual understanding that arises from indigenous cultures. And it is key to understanding the message in the Arenda. He already told that
0: story when he was on our podcast. I don't know where he gets off recycling that into his CBC Canada read But appearance. he didn't tell it in the context of a Western versus non-Western perspective. That's true. He was That's just true. telling, he was just explaining it and explaining that it was illegal right, right in the day. Yeah. But it, it is interesting. It's an interesting, it turns that whole scene that I haven't read on its head. Right. Yeah. It totally threw me. Because it's I not just it. American psycho. It's mm-hmm. not just, you know, it's not, he's saying it's it's nowhere near being violence, pornography or what did he say? What did he call it? And torture porn. Torture, torture porn. Yeah. He said it's, uh, it's key to understanding the message of the book. Yeah. Which I think he's saying is ultimately forgiveness. Right. I think the whole point of us talking about this is that something kinda unique happened in Canadian mainstream media with this Canada Reads thing, a lot of it due to the eloquence of of Wab Canoe. We don't usually push people towards, you know, the generally eye rolling mediocrity of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation itself. Right. But I think it's worth people checking out the CBC website, and reviewing this whole this whole project. Yeah. The whole 2014 Canada Reads project. If you go to cbc.ca slash books slash Canada Reads, I think you'll be able to journey down the rabbit hole of, of something very special that happened. And you could do a lot worse than reading the books that were in the running right. for this year as well. I've The Year of the Flood is the only book out of the five that I've read. But it was an excellent book. Yeah? Was it? Yeah. Hmm. The second in the in Margaret Atwoods. Yeah. I didn't series. really like the first one. You didn't like Orcs and Crake? No, not really. Oh man. I, I don't know. Maybe book. I should read it again. Maybe yeah. maybe I maybe I didn't read it right. <laughs> Did you read it backwards? Bush have our own Canada reads. We should Let's Escape Velocity escape, Radio Reads. Escape Velocity Radio Reads. Let me do this month's installment. I got two books sent to me recently. Are these are these this. part of your AK Book Press Club? No, no, okay. actually, one of them, in fact, is from PM Press. Okay, publishers of the fucking god awful year Keith Vegetarian no, Myth right. piece of horseshit. Yep, by which I have essentially written off pm press as yes. a donut fucking moron publisher but they've kind of redeemed themselves uh with a couple things actually first of all a pamphlet from my friend joshua organizing cools the planet it's just a it's a small little publication yep. for those who who actually think about doing something besides pontificating on a podcast yeah how to actually organize to win a battle against overwhelming odds the two other books that i want to just mention did i mention these books last time no i don't think he did you know i don't really i don't really cross paths with professors too much in my life do you know why that is because you're a dummy dum dum yes so once in a while somebody who was a fan of the band or who is a fan of the band at some point and has gone on to bigger and better things than being a fan of the band <laughs> will send us a copy of their of something they've done. Right. They'll let us know where they've gone in life. Right. And Tony Weiss, who is an associate professor of geography at the University of Western Ontario. Okay. With research broadly located in the field of political ecology, sent us this book called The Ecological Hoofprint. I love the play on words. Yes. The Global Burden of Industrial Livestock. And why I mention this isn't just because a professor sent us a book. mm mm-hmm and cited us as some sort of influence in his educational development, which is hilarious. (laughs) But this might be, I mean, no one's going to fucking read it, unfortunately, because people don't read these forensic audits of the global industrial slaughter industry. Except for people who already know that it's happening. Anybody on the fence about whether we need to rethink global meat consumption, uh, you need to read this book in detail and come to the same conclusion I had before even reading it. (laughs) (laughs) It's imperative. It's It's imperative imperative. to do that. Yeah. Tony Weiss, The Ecological Hoofprint, The Global Burden of Industrial Livestock on Zed Books. We'll link to that in the show notes. Yeah, this is a good one. And what else? So what else you got there? That's The Ecological Hoofprint. What's the other book that you got sent that you're you're so enamored with? Well, this one is from PM Press, and this... This is Black Flags and Windmills, Hope, Anarchy, and the Common Ground Collective by Scott Crow. Scott Crow... This harkens back to us covering uh, the Informant documentary. Scott Crow was one of the main interviewees. Mm -hmm. Brandon Darby was initially very much involved with the Common Ground Collective. Yeah, Scott and him were kind of the founders, essentially, of the Common Ground Collective. And while Brandon went on to work for the FBI... And speak at tea party conventions. (laughs) Scott Crow continued to do to yeah. do his work and continues to do his work i'm only fucking i'm less than a hundred pages into this book and it's it's one of those books where you you're reading it and and then you you look around your life and you're wondering what the fuck am i doing <laughs> yeah what the goddamn fuck am i doing because i mean some people just do what yeah. they believe in they don't just talk about what they believe in and complain about what they believe in. they actually do it and it's, it's kind of, insp- we don't do that. No. We kind of, we talk about it. Yeah. We talk about it and then we put those words to music <laughs> and then we think, Hey, we're done. There we go. But this is, this is the kind of book that makes you actually want to not do nothing. <laughs> it's not a triple negative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do something. The book is at least a hundred pages in the book is about Scott Crow living in Austin, but at the time of Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, devastating New Orleans, about him going down there to help and to find a friend of his. Right. I don't know when the game, the video game Left for Dead, was it made before Katrina or after Katrina? Oh, after Katrina. Was it based on Katrina? Um, I don't know. Well, I'm sure there was, I'm sure the New Orleans scenes are inspired by. Inspired by. Okay, by, yeah. that would make sense because the description of New Orleans in the midst of the chaos with officials not actually helping the most vulnerable populations at the time it it reminds me of the left for dead video game like fucking left for dead people yeah. were left for fucking dead and Scott Crow and Brandon Darby to his credit at the time I haven't gotten far enough to where Brandon diverges and yeah. takes off doing something else or gets weird they went in there and they tried to help and they set up the common ground collective there to actually help the neighborhoods because the fucking powers that be wouldn't help. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put this as an as a book that, a must read for people, for everybody. Yeah, because the the time is coming. The time has always been coming. The time might be now. The time in places where. The system has already given up on people as now, and it's going to come for us because shit's going to hit the fan. I just this winter, like this winter is out of out of control. Mm-hmm. Our city, Winnipeg's, everywhere, everywhere, Winnipeg's falling apart. It's the infrastructure's falling apart. Things aren't going to work. We're going to see. And who was it who said? Oh, it was Stephen Lewis actually on Canada Reads talking about Year of the Flood, talking about how Katrina will be the norm right. for for cities in the coming years. And yeah. if that's the case then we better start getting smart. And, yeah. and Mutual aid. We better sort out some mutual aid. For real, not yeah. just like this fucking yimmer, yammer talk down at the fucking Azo about mutual aid. Will someone come help us clean up the refrigerator on <laughs> the first floor? Like fucking... Anyways, this book, Black Flags and Windmills, Scott Crow on PM Press. Way to go, PM Press. You've redeemed your fucking selves with this one. I'm going to have to add that to my cue. So, Chris, do you think it is permissible that in... This Escape Velocity Radio Reads segment, we include not a book, but a blog post. Is that to a pedestrian? Is it the blog post that I partially read? I'm speaking, Chris, of a blog post by activist Dylan Powell. Ah, based out yes. of the Niagara region of Ontario. Yes, I am familiar with that blog post, I believe. This is called Veganism in the Occupied Territories, Anti-Colonialism and Animal Liberation. The title suggests... That there is a perception, a commonly held perception of a conflict between supporting indigenous struggles while at the same time supporting animal liberation struggles. Am I right? This is what he's looking to do. Basically, what he lays out is saying there's not really a conflict, you know, which which is self-evident to many of us. Yeah. Um, but has not really been articulated by many of us. And Dylan is particularly well-poised to address this because yeah. not only is he a longtime animal liberation activist, he's also a supporter of indigenous struggles, particularly in his part of the country. hmm And he primarily addresses, I mean, I guess what he's, because essentially what he's talking about here is veganism w- when people think of a conflict because they right. think, well, I don't think a lot of First Nations people are vegan and they're probably not so into that idea. Mm-hmm. It's pretty far outside of their traditional diet, which is actually only partially true because Mm -hmm. a truly traditional diet, you couldn't really have a lot of meat because it was a huge amount of work. And there was no dairy products. And there were no dairy products. Almost vegan. Yeah. But he's saying when you just focus on veganism as what your definition of animal rights or animal liberation is, you're missing the much broader picture, which is that all the machinations of our modern capitalist society they all contribute to loss of habitat they contribute to animal death and suffering you know it's all part of a big picture so Mm -hmm. quoting from his essay when you focus only on diet you are missing the fundamental understanding of how our highly technical and industrial corporate society destroys land bases and the animal species on them capitalism sprawl development mining fracking pipelines resource extraction And the violence necessary to them are all invisible. As long as you do not eat animals, you are, quote, peaceful, compassionate, and nonviolent. And I think that really sums it up. It's, It's this narrowly defined idea of what it is to support animal rights. And I think he's talking about it within the context of perhaps more mainstream or more narrowly focused animal rights activists in his region who, on one hand, have never protested at the local slaughterhouse or right. the local hatchery or the local dairy farm mm-hmm. but have gone out of their way to protest a traditional indigenous hunt of a few animals yeah which when you consider that they haven't set up a permanent protest at the slaughterhouse or the hatchery yeah it does seem it's it's not only disproportionate in in terms of scale it reinforces the interests of the state versus the first peoples yeah and I think his his point is that First Nations hunting, doing subsistence hunting, is not it's not the problem in our society. No, it's not. And I'd go further, Derek, and and add that if you're not protesting your neighbors for serving meat to their fucking cats and dogs, why are you going out of your way to stop these? You know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Why, why it's it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, clean up your own backyard first, as right. they say. And our backyard. Western society, Western capitalist society's backyard is the problem. That's why there is an animal liberation movement. Yeah. Probably wouldn't be an animal liberation movement if it wasn't for the society that we have inherited. Yeah. I would also add, as a personal observation over the years, sometimes it seems to me like, especially white activists, they act like First Nations people aren't actually capable of having a philosophical discussion. About animal concept, use, about animal use, about yeah. the concept of animal liberation, which I think is equal to a racist assumption. Yeah, it's paternalistic, which he also addresses in the piece when he says, you know, really, this has never been an issue in, in all my solidarity work, working with indigenous people, it, you know, and eating with them. It's no one's ever tried to take me to task for so being in, vegan. In, in my 20 years of being vegan, I've never had an indigenous person question me or challenge me mm-hmm. on my veganism you know who it always is some fucking little white dingus and trying to use first nations people and traditions as their excuse for why it's bad to be vegan yeah appropriating their culture to yeah but derek i think it's debate that should happen in parallel with supporting indigenous struggles mm-hmm. against the state rather than a debate that precludes supporting those struggles yeah and he makes this an excellent point that when we frame the issue as being solely about whether individuals, you know, whether they're vegan or whether these first nations people are hunting, he says, quote, framing the issues this way is siding with state incursion, repression, and encroachment Mm -hmm. while allowing the state to offer crumbs to animal advocates and continuing with their settler animal use industries that are somehow normalized in their massive scale in effect and i think part of this is just how human beings like psychologically how we compartmentalize and and normalize things so when you hear about say a traditional deer hunt or whatever it's you can really visualize people going out onto the land finding deer and killing them like you can see it really well but when you drive by the burns plant or whatever or by one of the thousands of hog barns in southern yeah. manitoba you know it's just you don't a you don't see the details most people can't even imagine what happens in there the horror you know they don't know the depth of it and they know they can't win so they, i think they, think, where they, can't they win. think it's much easier to take a stand against this little battle that ultimately is meaningless you know in the in the big picture it's obviously not meaningless for the to individual the, animals that are killed right but i think part of it is a problem with Our natural tendencies as humans to focus on that which is strikes us as more apparent, but we miss the big picture. We miss understanding what is far more important. And going back to the real Canada reads where Wobb talks about reading the Orenda with a Western perspective is ultimately this could be a clash of Western perspectives versus indigenous perspectives, philosophies on life and death. But that's a debate that should happen. I would be super into having that debate with a guy like Wobb. I think Dylan's article is really exciting because what comes of this dialogue is something new and one does not discount the other. One does not preclude the other. So it just means something new is going to come of it. Right. There was a recent Scott Crow, Mm -hmm. author of the other book I just plugged, Black Flags and Windmills. He was forwarding an article about people questioning Rod Coronado about his veganism. I actually read this because this piece linked to Dylan's article oh. in it. Ah, which is another interesting piece. Rod Coronado was actually has been an incredibly active advocate of animals mm-hmm. and has sacrificed a lot in the struggle for animal liberation. Yeah, in the United States. But there's questions about whether he's vegan or not. Yeah, I think that the interesting point from uh, that article, th- this, was, this was titled, Is There No Room for Rod Coronado? in the animal rights movement the problem with veganism as the moral baseline and that's essentially the argument is saying you know because there are animal rights advocates who say you know like uh, gary francione comes to mind as someone who says look veganism has to be our moral baseline that is a fundamental level to be an animal rights advocate you have to be vegan but it's an arbitrary line because so many other things that we do on our lives they have a lineage that has animal death all over them right you know everything from the you know what's the consequence of the dams that create the power you know that's powering our homes or the the pipelines that are bringing natural gas to heat our homes or all the animals that are killed in the industrial agriculture that is harvesting the grains and vegetables that we eat you know You know there's a long lineage all around us it is impossible to avoid at all you know you do what you can but to just create an arbitrary baseline i wouldn't say it's arbitrary it it does follow some logical steps to get to it but it's just it ultimately in the case of someone like rod coronado it's not the the ultimate litmus test for whether somebody's doing good animal liberation work you know yeah that's well, that's all it says and it, and in this context when we're talking about linking with other struggles if you want to create meaningful relationships where you can work together on a shared end goal you know the goal of reclaiming land and stopping resource extraction that meshes with the goal of saving the lives of animals who are going to have their habitat destroyed you know mm-hmm. The, the goal of indigenous resurgence and decolonizing to the extent that we can meshes with the goal of reducing the number of animals who are killed for food every year, mm-hmm. you know, because it is the, it is industrial Western capitalism that has led to this proliferation of insane amounts of animals being killed and eaten in this hyper efficient nightmarish manner. And, and, if we insist that in order to work with people on animal liberation issues, they have to be vegan, you are cutting out those potential alliances. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mean, you have to, doesn't mean you have to compromise your own values or yeah. how you want to live your life, but it means that you have to understand that not everybody is the same mm-hmm. and not everybody is going to approach these things in the same way. As you pointed out, veganism is a means to an end. Mm-hmm. It's not the end. I strongly encourage everybody to withdraw your support yes, of from course. the animal exploitation industries of withdraw course. it and by that i mean be vegan mm-hmm. but on the other hand i agree that veganism isn't the baseline the baseline is what you do for animals yeah and when we've toppled the western capitalist industrial slaughter system yeah coming right up and when we've meaningfully reconciled and offered restitution to first nations people then and only then will I be firebombing Wob Canoe's house for eating fish? <laughs> so those are those are a couple of good reads that we'll put in the show notes uh, by... All interconnected. Uh, by Dylan Powell and the anonymous person who writes uncivilizedanimals.wordpress.com Well, everyone... Thank you for tuning in for episode 19 of Escape Velocity Radio. The show is produced, recorded, and edited by Gian Gameshi. I think we should maybe take a second and thank some of the people who have taken the brave step of entrusting us with some of their hard-earned dollars. Because some people have done this. That's amazing to me. Miraculously and generously, some people have uh, decided to try to offset some of our costs for the show. To keep us going. Think, is, keep us going yes they think there's value in this I know I, I have I have trouble with it myself but yep. you know what we have to we have to be more confident we have to be more assertive we have to think nay know that what we do is very very <laughs> I'm sorry I can't I just can't <laughs> okay so Carrie Hasselreese. this is a friend of ours Carrie very generous donation Paul Garrett Stephen Adamus Tim Leafman Steve Rose Alberto Elizondo, Ah. David Feldman, Erica Pratt, Richard Fisher, Benjamin Reichman, Cole Moltz, and Siegel Hans. So thank you, everybody, for your donations. What do we do with those donations? Do I get any of that? No, not until... You don't get any until we actually turn a profit, So, we're, we're which still, is not going to happen. We're still running at a loss. We're still running at a loss. Okay, well then, thank you people for doing that. Yes. I would like more because I would like some money because I'd like to buy something. Buying stuff makes me feel better about myself, so please send money. <laughs>